0: You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast.
1: Now Robitaille still it. Shuchuk, shoots! He scores! Gary
2: Shuchuk wins the game! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. On the front,
0: Kovacar, centers, score! Deflected in front! the game in overtime
3: now here's your host jesse cohen Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men, presented to you by Manscaped, an official partner of the LA Kings. You can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code KingsMen at manscaped.com. That's manscaped.com and use the code KingsMen. It's time for another installment of the Great Playoff Debate, a series of episodes where Jim Fox and Nick Nixon will decide the best playoff series in Kings history. This week, we're focusing on the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, where the Kings have wins against the Canucks in 1993, the Blues in 2012, the Sharks in 2013, and of course, that seven-game series against the Ducks in 2014. Jim and Nick will join me in about 15 minutes to share their opinions, but first, we're going to take a look back at the very first time the Kings advanced past the second round with Gary Shuchuk, who scored the game-winner in double overtime of Game 5 against Vancouver. Joining me now, former forward for the LA Kings, Gary Shuchuk. How are you doing today, Gary?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks. Yourself?
3: I'm good. Thank you. Now, you were part of that 93 team that made the run to the Stanley Cup final before losing to Montreal. We won't dwell on that. What I do want to talk about is the second round series against the Vancouver Canucks. Um, it went six games. The Kings won 4-3, to three, and in Game 5, in double overtime... You scored the goal to win that game, to send it back to L.A. for game six. Uh, anything in particular about the series leading up to that game that sticks out in your mind?
1: Well, I, I think the big thing is we had a tough series against Calgary, uh, our, our first series uh, against them. You know, you know we, we ended up winning four to two, and then personally, I was a little bummed out because I didn't play in those games. Barry kind of wanted to go with a different lineup uh, from the end of the year. Um, Kelly Rudy was kind of struggling in that, and he was kind of going back and forth with him and, and uh, Rob Stauber. And so he just wanted to put different guys in the lineup. So I was kind of itchy to get into, into the playoffs. And, uh, you know, kind of story be told, Wayne went and talked to Barry. They asked him what they should do for changes. And Wayne recommended putting me in, and I got put in for that series. And, uh, you know, it was one of those series that we were playing Vancouver that was basically out of the, out of the, um, uh, out of the, the smite division i think they're first overall i think they blew away everybody in our division i think we were third so it was like the number one seed versus the third seed and i think the media had vancouver kind of walking all over us but we had a good tough series against calgary that kind of got us ready for uh the vancouver series
3: sounds a little bit like the 2012 series between the kings and vancouver everybody picking vancouver yeah. to win vancouver out in first kings sort of limping in
1: yeah, it's exactly it. You know, we we were just kind of, we, we got in the playoffs, you know, we, we knew we kind of uh, had a good surge at the end of the season there. And we actually had really strong goal tending by both goalies, uh, Rob Starren and Kelly Rudy. Then, then it just came, came, kind of came, kind of snowballed. We kind of put it all together against the uh, Calgary Shirts. I think we won that series four games or two. But then we knew, you know, we're, we're, our backs against them all going against Vancouver, like I said, they were, you know, one of the top teams in the league and we're we third, you know, I think they they might have had twenty or you know, close twenty points more than us in our in our conference, in our division. And so you know, we just, we just had to go out and play. And so that's what kinda of we did. I think the first two games we, we split and then uh and then the teams down to games three and four again. It was again it was a it was a two two series. So that, that fifth game back in Vancouver was huge. And, uh, you know, once again, it kind of came to our advantage to win that one. They could going back home three games
3: to two. Now you score the game winner in double overtime, a goal mouth scramble it's been described as. I'm curious, did you know before the puck went in the net, like did you know I've got this, this is a goal, or did you find out after it went in? I mean, how how in the moment can you be in a double overtime game winning goal in the playoffs?
1: Well, to tell you, tell you the truth, I don't remember much of the of goal because probably probably in the second period, I got hit at the, the red line by Gerald Diddick, and I was knocked lights out. I, I was out cold uh, right by the red line there. And so I kind of limped back to the bench, and that was the end of I Remember the Game. It was, it was kind of crazy because I played the rest of the second period, the third period, and the double overtime not knowing what happened and that, that's kind of scary because it wouldn't happen in today's NHL but it was one of those things where you know I, I, I guess I felt kind of shook the cobwebs out but I, I did not know what happened and it's funny I was getting interviewed after I scored by Hawks Canada and I actually had to look at the teleprompter to kind of see what happened oh, and wow. then it, it, oh yeah nothing nothing new so it was weird after watching it uh, on TV. I kind of knew when when Luke made the pass behind the net. I had a you know a small gap from the uh, from Kirk McLean's uh, goal pad and the post, and I kind of just whacked at it. And I knew by uh, McLean's reaction, the puck went in, and you know, the celebration
3: was on. Coming back to Game Six, then in LA, up three to two, the Kings go ahead and win. Uh, I want to say five to three in that last game. Yeah. I actually still have my ticket stub from that game, Game Six, and I can remember no. I can remember being in the parking lot with uh, <clears throat> with my dad after the game and just being so excited. And you know, I, I'm I think I was 15 years old, and none of my friends liked hockey, and you know, my dad was the only person I knew, and we were just driving home out from the forum, just so excited. Um, what was the crowd like in that game, Game Six? Uh, I should say in, in the forum after be- beating Vancouver and advancing to the uh, the conference final for the first time in franchise history
1: it was it was deafening. i remember from even when we had the uh, warm-ups for the for before the game that the, the forum was already rocking it was, it was almost full people got there already to catch watches i remember we, we all came out with warm-ups and the place was, was packed we're going jesus is crazy <laughs> and just the atmosphere for warm-ups i think we might have had our best warm-ups of the year we're all just flying around there but uh no, I think the fans knew we had something special going on because I think we scored early. Then I think Vancouver had to play catch up the rest of the day. And we, you know, I think, uh, we, we knew that we we're kind of destined to, to make it to the, uh, the conference, uh, finals against Toronto. But it was just one of those things that, you know, the, the goal that I scored or, you know, to make it a 3-2, anything can happen. You know, if that's a pivotal game. And, you know, luckily we came back to LA and, and winning sixes. You know, you never want to go down in this series. And I think that, we would have went down three two going back i think we would have been deflated i i don't think we would have won that game even though it was at home
3: looking at uh at the score sheets for the last two games in the series you've got a couple of goals for uh, a guy named wayne gretzky yari curry scores luke robitaille scores rob blake scores thomas tomash sandstrom scores and then warren reichel and gary Shuchuk both score uh can you talk about the depth of that team? I mean, obviously loaded up front with guys like Gretzky, Robitaille, Sandstrom, and Curry. But then Warren Reichel has five points in the series. Uh, Pat Conacher yeah. has two points in the series. You've got that goal in double overtime. And talk about the split between the team.
1: Well, I think that's what made this team so so special. We had we had the superstars. We had Wayne. We had Yari. You know, we had Marty McSorley as well on, on the point and Rob Blake. I thought it, it was a third and fourth line guys that kind of. You know, kind of brought everything together. We knew that that, that Wayne and those guys would be, you know, getting close, closely checked, and guys and teams would be playing them hard. So, you know, we we had to do our job too. We had, we had to play hard against their top uh, top line guys. We had to be hard in our four checks. We, we knew our role, and I think that's what I'm talking about. Our team really gelled at the right time. And Barry one of these coaches where he he played all four lines, and and everybody got on the ice. We all fall, felt a part of it. There, there's some teams when you're on a uh, a superstar team that, you know, they'll, they won't play their third and fourth line. They're the fourth line guys a lot, you know, sparingly. But Barry rolled the lines. We played, and of course, you know, Wayne and Yardy and Thomas probably got more ice time, but, which we deserved because of the power play and stuff. But when it came when it came to, like, a, an energy shift or something had to go on, we knew, myself and Warren Rico, even Corey Millen and, you know, and Tony, Tony Granato, we knew our roles. We had to go out there and play hard and, and kind of spark the team when we had to. And that's what, that's what
3: happened. I don't know if you've been watching the uh, Last Dance documentary that ESPN has been airing about uh, Michael Jordan and the 98, 97, 98 Bulls. I think it was the 97, 98 Bulls. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, it obviously shows what a, what a traveling circus it, it had to have been w- traveling with Jordan. But in 93 with Gretzky in L.A., was that – did you guys experience any of that? I mean, I know there's stories about – celebrities coming into the locker room, whether it's uh Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell, John Candy. I mean was that distracting oh, at all?
1: No, it was it was actually kind of neat. You know, I grew up in I grew up in Annington and you, you hear the stories about this, but you know, he had we actually had John Candy turning around with us during the playoffs who was actually trying to get ready to write uh the sequel to the Slapshop movie. So he wanted he sat <laughs> down during our, our pre- our pregame meals he just wanted to hear stories. He just wanted to hear stories about uh minor league hockey, college hockey, and just we just kind of just sat around and, and BSed with him. He, he thought it was awesome. And then of course the celebrities wanted to be around all the time and be be in the locker room, especially after we one. So that that was the crazy thing that we we'd love to see. But you know, like the way that uh, watching the, the you know the, the last dance with Michael Jordan, you know, I saw firsthand with what Wayne had to go through. Like in Vancouver, especially when we started going through the conference final in Toronto, and then the Stanley Cup in Montreal. I mean, it was an absolutely dong show for him, and I felt bad for him because he couldn't really leave the hotel and come over for meals with us because he would get bombarded. You know, I could sneak, I could sneak up the front door, and they go, "Who's that guy?" You know, but you know, a guy like Wayne, those guys, they they couldn't do it, so they're kind of stuck in the hotel. You know, and I, I felt bad, so I I can relate what what Michael Jordan went through with what Wayne had to go through. uh, you know, especially during that time, especially up in Canada when we we're playing in the in the conference final and the Stanley Cup final against Toronto and Montreal.
3: Yeah, all Canadian teams, uh, you guys faced that that playoff run, um, <laughs> and obviously Montreal had their tremendous uh, OT record. But but that double overtime goal again, man, I just there's some moments that are just burned in my brain as a Kings fan, and that is 100% one of them. I'm looking down the roster of the Vancouver Canucks. Cliff Ronning, Pavel Bure, Jeff Cortnall, Trevor Linden, Dixon Ward, Pavel Nedved, uh, Seminov, Sergei Mamesso, Murray Craven, Yurke Lume. Uh, you mentioned Gerald Didick, uh, Babich, who played for the Kings later, Kirk McLean. Was there one player on that team in that series that, that you guys really had your eye on, that when he was on the ice, you had to step up your game?
1: Well, I think Pavel Bure is probably one of the guys we really had to focus on. You know, the, he he the, he could skate like the win The Russian pocket, or the pocket rock, whatever they called them. I, <laughs> I thought that uh, we really did a good job of, of, of really uh, eliminating his scoring chances when he, when he when he was out there. But you know, like, they, like I said, their team was so had so much depth, and they had you know a lot of NHL experience. You know, I battled Cliff Ronning all the time. You know, I think uh, we're about the same size, but he's one of those guys again. You couldn't give him a lot of room out there. they, they just had so much. Depth with, you know, with with Trevor and their captain. I, I, you know, that's that there a reason why they they were uh, smite Division champions by so many points because how good they were. You know, the biggest thing also is they had Kirk McLean in goal. That was just a, a rock for him back in in, in the in the pipe form. I mean, he was another reason why they won so many games and had had success in, in the playoffs. And actually, w- leading up to, it, I think he had our number. I, mean, I can't remember our overall record against him during this season, but it wasn't good. And that's why I think a lot of a lot of people would, didn't think we had a chance against him, especially if he was a Met. So, as I said, I think going into that series, we, we gained confidence playing yeah, a real tough tough series against Calgary, and we kind of knew hey we had nothing really to lose. Let's go and play hard. Barry had, was a great motivator. Like he he kind of used us being you know you know the underdogs against Vancouver to our advantage. No respect, no one in Canada wants us to win. We're a team from California. Big deal. They don't want to connect. A California team beating another Canadian team. So he kind of used as motivation for us. And I think that helped us. And we kind of bought into what he was preaching.
3: Well, I'm looking at Vancouver stats for the series. And to your point, Pavel Bury just five points in six games, only yeah. one one goal and a minus two. So, I mean, good job out of you guys to hold him down. That's impressive.
1: Yeah, I just remember Barry saying, every time he's on the United get an extra stick on him, an extra hit. You know, if you see him, just keep bumping him. He didn't frustrate <laughs> out there. I remember that i kept saying a couple swear words in Russian and, him and <laughs> I don't think I can could, could tell you, but it, it was uh we did a good job. And I think that's what was the difference is we, you know, our our top guys, you know, they, they scored what needed need be and we got good goaltending. And I think that we all kind of bought into our roles and it kind of carried into the rest of our playoffs for us.
3: Well, Gary, thank you very much for a, a wonderful memory to for a generation of uh, Kings thank fans. You. And uh, thanks for joining us here today. We appreciate it.
1: Well, yeah, Thanks you for the time. And like I said, uh, everybody, please stay safe out there and hopefully just uh, uh, stay at home end soon and we get back to normal life.
3: From your lips to the hockey god's ears, Gary. Thanks again. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It is time for the great playoff debate round two. Joining me again, Jim Fox. How are you doing today, Jim?
2: Jesse, doing great. Thank you very much. Hanging in there. And every time I think back on the series, the Kings win. It makes it that much better.
3: (laughs) Well, that's what we're here for. And Nick Nixon joining us. How are you doing today, Nick? Doing
0: well, Jesse. Uh, Good to talk to you again and Foxy. And uh, yeah, this is going to be a a series that uh, we're going to look back on and uh, have a lot of uh, good things to say about. Uh, It was a first in a number of uh, ways. So yeah, looking forward to this uh, segment.
3: Yeah, I was a little surprised, I suppose, that you both picked the same series, although I guess I shouldn't be. Um, We spoke to Gary Shuchuk already about the 93 series against Vancouver, which was the first time the Kings had advanced past the second round. Um, Just on a personal note, the 2012 sweep of the St. Louis Blues will always be my favorite Kings series because I still uh, am hurt over the 98 series against the Blues. And so for me, that was a sweet revenge for the Kings to get their first series sweep in uh, franchise history against St. Louis. But let's get into the 2014 second round series against the Anaheim Ducks, the first time the Kings and the Ducks ever faced off in the playoffs. Uh, that series really, uh, looking at the uh, the totals, was all Marion Gabryk. Uh Six goals, four assists, 10 points, plus four uh, led the Kings. Anje Kopitar, eight assists, one goal, nine points in the series. Justin Williams and Jeff Carter, both with five points. Kings win game seven on the road. And again, just a little personal note: I was able to secure a ticket to that game the day of the game for uh, about a hundred dollars, I think. So <laughs> all of those rumors about uh, about the Honda Center being Staples South, maybe a little bit of truth to that. But let's start with you, Jim. Biggest takeaway for you from that series against the Ducks? Well,
2: the reason I pick it as my series, Jesse, and I'm going to just be – I'm going to try to simplify things. I'm going to go to three specific reasons why I believe it's my favorite second-round series the Kings have ever played. Reason number one, it's against the Ducks. Right? Reason number two, it's against the Ducks. (laughs) And reason number three, it was against the Ducks.
3: Three excellent reasons. And just to add to that, <laughs> um,
0: the Kings did <laughs> it play was the, Ducks the Ducks in that series. <laughs> <laughs> really? Let's not forget. We'll get into it. But, yeah, the Kings playing the Ducks. It was the first time they'd ever met in the, in the postseason, right? But um, I had forgotten this. Uh, Anaheim had the best record in the Western Conference they were the number one seed that season. So yeah. it was uh, a Kings team that was uh, in the uh, conference final the year before, lost to Chicago, and two years prior to that in 2012, uh, won their first Stanley Cup. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was the Ducks, but I, I think what added a-, a bit more flavor to it, it was a very good Anaheim team the Kings uh, had to take on. And, of course, uh Anaheim had the uh, the home ice in that in that series.
2: Yeah, I, I think the whole 14 playoff, neck, and again, I talk about it many times. It's just my opinion. I'm pretty sure the numbers would bear it out, but I think the Kings winning in 14, the road to the Stanley Cup final was the most difficult road in the history of the National Hockey League. I'm going to go that far. I mean, you get down 0-3 to San Jose in the first series, You have to play Anaheim, as you mentioned, number one seed in the second series. You're getting into a situation where Chicago is, are they in the midst of a salary cap dynasty? You know, and just to get there. So Anaheim a big part of that. I know Jesse, you started with a couple numbers. To me, in crunch time situations, unfortunately, and and I have a tremendous amount of respect for these guys, Sometimes we can joke about things. Sometimes we have to get serious. But I think Gesloff and Perry were both minus five in the series. Kopitar was plus five. Gabbrook was plus four. Uh, A lot of the crunch, big time, important goals that were scored, that was the matchup. And the Kings won the matchup of the top lines.
0: Absolutely, and uh, Marion Gabrick, uh, I mean, looking back over the years, not only in series the Kings have been involved in, but other teams that have been in the playoffs, how often does a player in a seven-game series score in every road game, in four road games, which is what Gabrick did. He had six goals in the series, as Jesse talked about, but they were all in Anaheim. Um, Ties it late in game one after the Kings pulled the goaltender and wins it in overtime. And that kind of set the tone uh, for the Kings. And, and of course, Gabrick, like uh, Carter in 2012, was a deadline acquisition that season. And he was uh, brought in, you know, to add offense. And all he <laughs> did in that, that series, as I mentioned, was get six <laughs> goals. And as it turned out, he led the NHL in playoff goals yeah. that year. So good for Marion Gabrick.
2: Yeah, that's all he can do, right, Nick? That's all he can do is score. Yeah.
0: Right. Well, I mean, that's the when you're putting up numbers. When you're putting up numbers like that in the playoffs, you don't need to do anything else. I mean, (laughs) no. I've talked about it on other
2: podcasts, and it's it's a you know the MVP, the Conn Smythe, doesn't always go to your best player. You know, it goes to a difference maker sometimes. If there was a second choice to Justin Williams. And I would go with Gabrick. And because of the goals he scored, because of when he scored the goals, and many times the type of goal he scored was not necessarily the Marion Gabrick enter with speed and big shot. It was get your nose into a scrum situation and dish out a loose puck.
0: Absolutely. And I was just kind of uh, uh, reliving some of the highlights of that series with Gabrick. And, 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 and in the first game, when Anaheim's got a two-to-one lead late and the Kings pull the goaltender. Gabrick is going to the net, and I think he got a rebound or a tip of a Mike Richards shot. So, again, not a a, a skill type of goal that you would expect that we've seen so many times from uh, Marion. And then in overtime, the same thing. He goes to the front of the net, Kopitar puts it uh, in front, and he tips it in. So, yeah, uh, a- again, um, Gabrick had a great playoff series, and as it turned out, he won his... Uh, only Stanley Cup in his career uh, in 2014, but uh, yeah, he give him marks, and, and you know we don't have to talk about it much now. But you know, in the the following series against Chicago, it was the same thing. He had some big goals against the Blackhawks. Similar thing, you know, just go to the net, be there for tips, be there for rebounds, and uh, very effective. And I agree with you, Foxy. I, I think, and and I don't know, maybe. We can ask some of the writers when we get back to normal, uh, hopefully in a couple of months, uh, where Marion Gabrick finished in the uh, Con Smythe uh, voting that year. As you mentioned, Williams did win it and certainly, you know, a difference maker in, in, in the three game sevens that got the Kings to the final. But yeah, you've got to think that Marion got, certainly got his share of votes uh, in 2014.
3: Let's talk about speed real quick. Um, in the first series against the Sharks in 2014, Tanner Pearson sat out the first two games. Then he gets inserted into the lineup, and it felt like, at least from in my memory, that the, the Kings sort of regained a little bit of speed in the lineup that had been killing them in games one and two. How important was it, Jim, you've talked about how in 2012 the team won on defense and in 2014 they... They just came out and attacked other teams. How important was it to have players like Gabrick, like Carter, like Pearson in the lineup against an Anaheim Duck team that finished first in the division?
2: Yeah, yeah, it was a different makeup, Jesse. And you're right. Now you can add speed throughout your lineup. And, you know, that was, I think, the big contrast between 12 and 14 was just that addition of speed. And already had added Carter two years previous. You pick up Gabrick and Nick. I'll tell you, we checked into the hotel. This is first series, but we checked into the hotel in San Jose for game one. And I just went to Dean Lombardi and I said, Dean, do you have a minute? Just need to pick your brain just before the playoffs start here. Just want to get going. He talked to me for 45 minutes. And 42 of those minutes were about the homework the Kings did to acquire Marion Gabrick and how much tape they watched, how much in person they scouted, how many people they talked to, trainers, former coaches, former teammates. Uh, it was incredible, the homework they did. So yeah, I, I think uh, you know you get a guy like Pearson to come into a series and inject speed. You have a guy like Gabrick who does the same thing. Then you have a Carter on a separate line. And before you know it, you're just looking down through the lines and you're going, wow, oh, okay. This is not the get the lead, hold on, and win like 2012. This is, uh, okay, if need be, we can outscore you, too.
0: Yeah, and let's not forget Tyler Toffoli, who, like Pearson, was a rookie that season. You know, maybe doesn't have the, the speed or quickness of, of those other players you mentioned, Jim. But, uh, you know, deadly around the net, a tremendous shot, as you can appreciate. And uh, he comes in, and, and there's another there's another weapon. And as it turned out, I, I think he wound up uh, setting a uh, Kings record for most points by a rookie in a playoff year in 2014. So, yeah, you put Tyler Toffoli in the mix there, and now it's like pick your poison. What line are you going to try and match up against? Um, Justin Williams, who turned out to be the MVP, for the most part, you could, you could make the argument in that playoff year. He was on the third line. Uh, he played with, with Jared Stoll and Dwight King uh, quite often throughout the playoff series. Now, they juggle the lines late in games if it was close and you know, going with veterans, things like that, as, as coaches always do. But, yeah, I mean, the Kings were a tough team to match up against uh, in 2014, probably more so than they were uh, the year before in 2013 and in 2012 when they won the Cup because of those additions that that, that you had just talked about.
2: Yeah, I think if I were to compare the teams, and I know we're just talking about 14 here, but uh if I had to win one game, just one, I would go with the 12 team because I think they were more consistent. You know exactly what you were going to get. If I were to go with a seven-game series, I think I would go with a 14 team because they could win in different ways. And through the course of a series that long, you might have to find different ways. And, and the Kings did. Now, go off on a tangent here. Game one, injury to Robin Regeer. The rest of the series, Jeff Schultz comes in and plays an average of 19 minutes and eight seconds a game. So this is not a guy who's inserted and just sits on the end of the bench. He comes in and plays on the second pairing. And as I've talked before, and I always have to preface this, just talking about hockey. Just the hockey aspect of this. Slava Voinov was a damn good player. I mean, he could escape pressure. He could move the puck. He could attack in the zone. Defensively, not big, but he was so strong on his skates. And again, we know the reasons and what happened, but uh, that's, that's again, a team that that had more attack to it, I think, than the, the, the previous Stanley Cup team.
0: And just to add uh, a couple of things on Jeff Schultz, uh, a guy who comes in, and basically he, he was the third line of defense, if you will, because Willie Mitchell uh, was was injured early uh, in the uh, playoff year. Regeer then replaces Mitchell. He goes down, and then Schultz replaces uh, Regeer. And uh, you're right, uh, Jim. I, I was looking at some of the numbers on Schultz, and he plays basically the series, the Anaheim series, with Slava Voinov. So there is your your second pair, so to speak, although it's tough to call Martinez and Green a third pair uh, for as effective as they've been and were in the playoffs over the years. But Schultz was even in every game he played, and you talked about the minutes. And, you know, he had experience. Uh, He had well over, I think, four or 500 NHL games, uh, mostly with the Washington Capitals. So he knew how to play the game. He kept it simple uh wasn't fancy uh Darryl Sutter would use him killing penalties uh which he did with Voinov quite a bit and you know just one of those stories that whenever you analyze a playoff series especially when you look at a team that that won the series like the Kings did against Anaheim this year uh a good story you know a story where a guy you know gets his opportunity and makes the most of it and he was very dependable and you can't discount the effectiveness that he had On the Kings being um, a pretty steady, uh, pretty sound team, not only in this series but throughout the 2014 playoff run. Did he go? Did he play again after the Anaheim series? You know, I think he did. I I I think. um, See, it was Chicago in round three, Mm -hmm. and uh, I, I. I know Willie Mitchell didn't. I don't know if Regeer can. I want to say Regeer maybe comes back later in that Chicago series. Right. But don't uh, hold me to that. I'd have yeah. to get up my sheets on that.
3: Um, I'll look up his game log right now as we're going into that. But I was um, glad you guys brought up the defense. Obviously, in 2012, all six defensemen played every single game. Uh, in that playoff run and so to have Jeff Schultz and and Robin Regeer and uh, and I think one other player whose name escapes me at the moment might have gotten in there but I could be wrong Um, but to have those guys step up and and fill in those depth roles I mean it 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 just reminds me every time of Jeff Schultz uh, picture with the Stanley Cup where he's in a pool wearing a suit in a floaty uh, with the Stanley Cup yeah. <laughs> floating next to him um <laughs> But just did, a real you know, he did
0: I just looked it up, Jesse. He played seven total games and and I think okay. he played the last six in the Anaheim series. so probably he plays game one against Chicago and then Regeer comes back mm-hmm. because I don't think Willie Mitchell was able to come back that playoff year. I might have been mistaken. Um, but as far as Schultz, his series was the Anaheim series played six of the seven games that he got into that playoff year against the Ducks. Uh,
3: the, the numbers I'm looking at I'd say Mitchell played in 18 games. So I think that might have actually just been the series that Mitchell missed was that uh, was that Anaheim series. Um, but regardless, a tremendous team effort. Let's go ahead and run through the games real quick. We don't have to get too deep in the weeds. Um, we'll start with games one and two at the Honda Center. Both Kings win the first 3-2 win. In overtime, goals from Marion Gabryk, as we mentioned. Uh, but Game 2, Marion Gabrick starts the scoring, and the Kings win 3-1. to one. Jim, anything particularly in that game that you felt uh, helped the Kings win the game or the series?
2: Well, I think uh, there's no question in Game 2. It is Mr. Jonathan Quick. The Kings were outshot 37-17. to 17. Doesn't always tell the story, but you get into a playoff series, you need different guys to do at, at different times. And I think Jonathan, well, he was picked the number one star of that game. Alec Martinez was picked number two star. And I was talking earlier about difference makers. To me, in this series, when you talk about the injury situation, I think you make a, a, a pretty good argument that Alec Martinez was the biggest difference maker for the Kings in that he was a third pair defenseman earlier. And then he probably still played on the third pair. But his minutes, his minutes went up to the point where he would be considered a second pairing guy or he was just, he was about 18 and a half minutes. So, uh, you know, just the difference made, he made in games one and games two, for sure in that series.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, obviously in this series, uh, the home team just couldn't hold serve uh, early in the series with the Kings taking games one and two at Honda Center. So the fact that the Kings were able to keep themselves in both games one and two Uh, They scored first in each game, uh, first period goal in in game one by Martinez, and then Gabrick 34 seconds into game two, and and that was huge. I mean, as it turned out, the team that scored first in all seven games wound up winning uh, in this series. But to go into Anaheim, again, against a very good team that had 116 points. They had 116 points that year, 54 wins, and – you know, Anaheim got three goals in two games, and the, the Kings uh, are, are seemingly looking real good by uh, going to home ice for games three and four at Staples.
3: Now we get into game three and four at Staples, like you said, Nick, and this is where the one weak spot emerges as far as uh, arguments for Kings' dominance, and that is that the the Ducks begin to start having goaltending issues, uh, much like the Sharks before them. Um, Jim, are you at all compelled by the idea that uh, Boudreaux using three goalies in this series should be taken into account as far as uh, determining the quality of the win?
2: It changed the series around, right? A little bit later, you know, Easton Anaheim when Gibson comes in. But, you know, sometimes you're forced to do that because of injury. I always felt, even though even though, you know, the Ducks <laughs> made it more than a tough series, I feel that the team that is not forced to make a, a move, a, a, ch- a change, an adjustment, as long as it doesn't have to do with injury. Of course, injury comes, you have to make an adjustment. I think the team that usually makes the first adjustment is the team that's on their heels and, and the team that usually doesn't end up winning the series. And uh, I know that they were forced to go with Gibson Game four, he comes in, throws a shutout in his first playoff game. You know, the Kings 28 to 14, doubling up on shots on goal. So a huge win for John Gibson. But, you know, just, I, I don't I don't know if Boudreaux was shuffling things around as much as, you know, just getting to a point of, uh, you know, maybe his hand was forced at least to start. And then he's looking for a spark. Uh, but if I'm not mistaken, later on in the series, I believe Mr. Gibson gave up a, a bad goal, a leaky goal. And you know, it, it happens to everyone. It happens to everyone, uh, but uh, you know, that that's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, Bruce is, you know, he's given a lot of credit for regular season and he's dumped on for playoff. And uh, maybe I let my, relationship with him just, and it's not really a close relationship, but he was around the Kings for a while. So I tend to uh, look a little bit nicer on Bruce than, than maybe most people.
0: You know, you mentioned uh, John Gibson um, and I'm sure you remember Foxy yeah, and maybe you do too, Jesse, uh, listening to Daryl Sutter, uh, when he was asked about John Gibson shutting out the Kings and, and the, <laughs> and the remark, I always remember, Uh, Daryl said, I don't think he'll ever give up a goal. (laughs) It's like nobody is ever going to score against this kid. And that was a a typical Daryl Sutter retort to a question like that. Uh, And, of course, you know, maybe the kid reads it. Maybe he doesn't. Um, Mind games go on with coaches, uh, especially in playoffs and all sports. But that's the one thing I remember after Gibson shut out the Kings uh, in that fourth game was Daryl Sutter just uh, kind of sarcastically telling everybody, oh, he's, he's the best goaltender we've ever seen. Nobody's ever going to score against him.
2: Yeah, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> in the same, I don't know, maybe it was, I believe that <laughs> Daryl at one point just saying, oh, he's the best goaltender in the world. Yeah. Talking about John Gibson. You know, like he's the best. <laughs> he's the best, goal, you know. <laughs> A little bit of that with it, earlier, earlier in the relationship with Jonathan Quick. Now, Jonathan already won a Stanley Cup by then, but earlier in that relationship between Daryl Sutter and Jonathan Quick, Daryl used to do that on purpose just to to rile Jonathan up a little bit, just to get him on edge because he always felt that Jonathan played best when he was on edge.
3: And uh, Drew Dowdy is on record as saying that uh, anytime they would play a team, whether it was the Sharks or Chicago that had a a big – Prime number one defenseman on their roster that Daryl would would say something along the same lines like you know oh, you know Norris Trophy winning defenseman over there or best defenseman and Doughty said a few times I think that he knew what what Sutter was doing and and he would laugh about it but that it would work anyway <laughs> that he would still come out and have a huge game. Um, let's go ahead and talk about games five and six. We talked about the addition of Tanner Pearson. We talked about the addition of Marion Gabrick, But there's a player from 2014 um, that we didn't talk about, even when we covered all the defensemen, and that's Jake Muzzin. He scores the first goal in game six. Um, Drew Doughty paired with Rob Scuderi all through the 2012 playoffs, but in 2014, he's paired with Jake Muzzin. Jake, or sorry, Jim. (laughs) Um, How did playing with Muzzin change Doughty's game and make that top pairing better than 2012?
2: Well, I think it... It gave Drew a partner that could counterattack, too. Also, uh, and I'm not sure. I think there was a pretty big differential with Drew previously. And that stay-at-home guy with Drew all the time. Muzz probably early in his career was more so like that. But his skating is so underrated. Uh, his power. Uh, his ability to close gaps, and then his ability to go the other way. Uh, I think as the playoffs went along, Muzz was used more and more in offensive situations, offensive zone face-offs, get him out there, you know, make sure he's out there. Uh, and I think for Drew, that just, that gave him, you know, now Drew didn't have to single-handedly escape pressure. More so than in the past, he could just dish it off to the other guy, and that would be Muzz, and Muzz could do his thing, too.
0: And, and again, uh, Muzzin goes into the category of that type of player. We were comparing 2014 additions to the 2012 team and and their strengths, which obviously was defense and goaltending. And we talked about you know adding a Carter and a Pearson and a Gabrick and a Toffoli. Well, on the back end, you know, Muzzin gives you so many more weapons, and, and not disparaging a guy like Rob Scuderi, but there's more to Jake Muzzin's game than there is to Scuderi's. And, and that's just another weapon that Kings could use, especially on the power play. Uh, even though he was a young player, he got his share of power play time in the 2014 playoffs. And uh, I know when he first came up, one thing that kind of uh, took my eye when Muzzin was playing that left point He had a a, a real good ability of just kind of hesitating when taking his shot to kind of force the defense to make that first little move, the shot blocker, if you will, and that would give him a little more opening to get that puck through. So, yeah, Jake Muzzin uh, had a lot of tools that, that, as we found out, came out beginning with the uh, 2014 playoffs.
3: So, you guys know that I like to uh, pair up games and playoff series. We have the Kings and the Ducks tied at two games apiece after four with an even goal differential. Games five and six. uh, Five goes to Anaheim at home. Six goes to the Kings at home. Again, maintaining that similar goal differential. So, heading into game seven, you could make the argument that the two teams are neck and neck. It's dead even. Um, And then game seven... (laughs) The Kings put the definitive uh, stamp on the series. I remember, again, being at uh, the Honda Center. We were sitting up in the upper bowl uh, behind the Ducks' net, uh, defending their net. And even though it was just the second goal of the game and it didn't wind up being the game winner, I will never forget Jeff Carter scoring that goal. And to me, it felt like the game was over in that moment. Um, Jim... I'll ask you again to validate my crazy theory that, <laughs> that there's always sort of a signature game where one team pulls away and really uh, beats the other one. And, and that to me was game seven, yes?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's I mean I, when I thought back on game seven, I have a very personal thought on it, which I'll get to in a minute, but things are up to nothing and Corey Perry gets a penalty shot. This is first period. So obviously unsuccessful, quick gets the job done. I'm not a what if guy, but if it's 2-1 early in the game, right? It it never gets to five, nothing. It never gets to to that point. So that's just one of the things. Now that I look back at the numbers and look back at the game sheets and just try to to figure out what's going on there. That's, that's something that stands out to me. Um, you know, you have, man, you just have, I look at that game sheet, uh Jesse. And the one thing that it just, how many different guys participated in getting it done. And that's, that's the thing that stands out to me, how many different lines. Uh, but, And, you know, and then Justin Williams with two points in that game. And and is it gets the scoring started? You know, is it is it just, you know, part of his little chip in here, chip in there? Not the superstar player, but man, can he be counted on? Uh, it's, It's impressive to see what's going on there. I'm just looking here at the Muzzin's total was 22 minutes in ice time in game seven. In game six, it was even higher than that. It was 25 minutes. So yeah, just so many different people. In this game, the one thing, Justy, that stands out to me is the penalty shot. <laughs> that's what kind of catches my attention.
0: Yeah, and you know, Foxy, uh, that's a two goal swing as it turns out within about a minute. Because Perry gets stopped on the penalty shot at 14:08 to keep it two nothing Kings, and at 15:12, a minute four seconds later, Richards makes it three nothing. So what could have been a two to one game at Honda Center in Game Seven is now three nothing Kings, and and uh, that the Kings just uh, build from there. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, it, it's hard to say that a Game Seven in any series isn't the pivotal game of a playoff series, but. Pivotal point in that game seven, uh, I agree with you totally. Is is Jonathan Quick stopping Corey Perry, and, and it was, and it was a good read uh, by Quick. If you remember, really didn't make a save. It was uh-huh. a poke check as yep. Perry came in. So and uh, that, that's a play you don't see a lot of goaltenders do on a, on a penalty shot. But uh, boy, that was that was just huge. Uh, that was uh, I'm with you a hundred percent. Turning point in game seven.
2: And, uh, you know, Nick, it's it's the relationship, if we want to call it that, between Quick and Perry was very competitive, I'll just say, being nicely. So that just kind of puts it in the back of my mind even more.
0: Yeah, you know, I was uh, listening to the entire Game 7 last week, and uh, it's just uncanny how many times after the whistle I'm mentioning uh perry's being pushed away from quick after the whistle uh you know perry's around the net he deflects the puck quick is complaining to the referees talking to the referee about the contact the traffic so yeah i mean it had been building for a few years and you know two great players trying to get the the better of each other and that's what makes you know the game within the game so exciting and so much fun to watch
3: Jim, you mentioned that there was a personal element to your recollection of this game.
2: Well, it's just, uh, again, it's second round, so we are no longer doing game broadcasts. So we're doing post-game preparation. And for post-game preparation for me, I would be in the production truck the entire game. I would be watching from there, preparing highlights, doing telestrators, getting things ready. Now, it gets to... Five, nothing. Now I'm inside the truck and we're in Anaheim. It's a Fox Sports crew, but you know, a lot of those people are closer to the Ducks. You know, they work their games more so than Kings games. So you don't wanna be that, you know, rub it in guy. And I, I don't wanna be that guy, I, I'm not that type. But just because of my mindset and nerves, you know, the Ducks made it five two right? Before the end or right at the end of the uh, 5, what was it, 5-1, and then 5-2 early in the third. At that point, just because, I'm, good, I'm not doing the game, I'm prepping. I walk outside the truck. Because I can't watch anymore. <laughs> Honestly, I walked to the furthest point, uh, I would say, North East point of the parking lot. There is no one outside in that parking lot, but it is packed. And I just keep walking. I keep looking at my watch. I can hear inside the building. I mean, I can hear what's going on with, ooh, ah. ah. I can hear that, but I can't tell what's going on. I just can't, right? I just don't know. So I get to the far point and I say, okay, it's got to be down now. You're getting down to you know at least last ten minutes. So I turn around and I start walking back towards the building. And when I get halfway, and I'm again, I'm the only person in this parking lot. And I remember hearing cheers. And I knew it wasn't the Ducks scoring. I knew it, but you know there's enough Kings fans there, right? I knew a goal was scored, and I said to myself, that has to be the Kings. It has to be, because it's a reaction, but it's not Anaheim. And, of course, it was Tanner Pearson, and he was scoring to to make it 6-2. So at that point, I just – I basically ran back to the truck because <laughs> I, I knew then the game was over, but that's – I just, you know – it's it's a rivalry. It's a huge rivalry. You know, as Nick touched on earlier, it's the first time these teams... How much had people said, oh, the way to get the game really on the map. We just... We already won a Stanley Cup, but get it on the map in Southern California is to have a series between the Kings and the Ducks. Well, you get it. And uh, I, I was... I was... I was having a difficult time staying still, so I had to go for a little walk.
3: <laughs> are, are you talking about the... The, the media parking lot where it literally does taper yes. off into a tiny little point that's a long walk Jim well I, I had to
2: I was killing time I was going by time on my watch of course I wasn't listening to the game I didn't have a radio I would you know I didn't have my iPhone on. I just I was walking and I was just trying to kill time but I knew once I got to the end of the parking lot I had to come back <laughs> so I just turned around
0: you know I, I just want I'm just looking at my sheet here guys. And we talked about the first period penalty shot saved by Quick, and then a minute after that Richard scores to make it three nothing. Looking at the notes I had in the second period, Kopitar got a goal early in the second to make it four nothing, and you're you're looking like, you know, it's gonna happen, right? The King's gonna win the game. But then at five eleven, Silverberg saved quick. Eight minutes Perry save quick. Eleven minutes Getzlav save and I don't write down every save. I just write down the big saves on my on my sheet. So you know, even though the score was lopsided in the end, I mean, Quick was a huge reason why the Kings were able to build a lead and maintain the lead. Uh, as as I look back on on some of the the people he stopped, I mean, you're looking at good players here right silverberg perry gets laugh perry the penalty shot in the first period so yeah quick uh, certainly earned it in game seven actually he was a second star even though it was a quote blowout for a playoff game
3: i mean i understand why he wasn't really considered for a con Smythe uh trophy win that season obviously three series going to game seven and you know the getting pulled in a, a game or two but I think the expression when about the power play is it's not how many it's when they come is it the same thing um Jim with the saves and, and a goalie performance like if if he if a goalie has a bad game or two is it erased by having a dominant performance when it matters
2: I think uh, I think in the playoffs timing of situations yes goes to a higher level of importance. Uh, I, I, because you're you're so focused on any one game, and I think players, especially nowadays, do a great job. In they do a great job in you know parking it and moving on to the next one. But again, you know my biggest way to go numbers wise here is this: um, power play percentage is less important or penalty kill percentage is less important compared to when you get the big power play goal or when you get the big penalty kill. And I think that fits the case for saves also.
0: Yeah, and with Quick in, in 2014, numbers are good. I mean, uh, he again was in goal for basically every game. He won 16 games again, like he did in 2012 when he won the con Smythe. But I think when you compare his 2014 numbers to his 2012 numbers which are out of sight I mean probably that gives cause for a lot of people considering playoff MVPs to say ah, wasn't quite as good as he was in 2012 so let's look somewhere else but again uh, you know I totally agree with Jim uh, it's not it's it's not uh, how many it's it's how uh, it, and uh, it, it's not the amount of Power play goals, it's when you get them. It's not the um, amount of wins or saves, it's when you make them. And, uh, you know, in Game 7, you know, we talked about, and Jim touched on it, uh, it, it happened in the first round in the comeback series with San Jose when the Kings won that Game 7 on the road. Uh, the Kings' big guys took over again, Williams and Kopitar and, and, and Drew Doughty and, and Jonathan Quick, a solid game. Same thing in Game 7 in the Anaheim series. As you mentioned, uh, Williams, Carter, Richards, Kopitar, Gabrick. And, you know, Jonathan Quick did what he had to do. So, yeah, it was it was the start of a, a playoff run um, that was fun to watch because of uh, the, the tenseness that was uh, involved almost in every series. Uh, the Kings were facing so many elimination games. But uh, when push came to shove, the, the Kings came through, and it was – A number of of their veteran players that you would expect to get them through that actually did get them through and onto a uh, a second Stanley Cup.
2: You know, uh, guys, I'm I'm not. This is this gets me into trouble when I talk about the uh, when I'm talking about the goaltenders union. But I'm (laughs) I'm I very rarely go to a goaltender for my selection as the Conn Smythe winner. Because I have the, can you win the Stanley Cup without great goaltending? No. And you're going to get, it's a, it's a given. It's a given to me. And that's where Jonathan, more than most, kind of get it's a little bit we were just talking about. Also, uh, Jesse, is sometimes the way how Jonathan makes a save can have more of an impact than just the one save that goes on the stat category. Because there are sometimes, because of his style, he robs somebody. Like, just basically robs them. And I think at times that can allow a goaltender like Quick. I, I think career-wise, I'm not comparing Dominic Hasek to Jonathan Quick, but if you take him in a single game, I think I think Hasek was like that too. He would rob guys. He, you'd think you'd have him on one side of the corner, and he'd boom, right across. Wide open net, he'd make... And Quick was like that. So I, I think sometimes Jonathan's able to get into the head of opposition players. And in a playoff series, sometimes that makes a difference because you get further into series and now the shooters are starting to be perfect and trying to be perfect. And you create that doubt and it works against them.
0: And I, and I would just add, uh, you know, with Quick and, and you know, your, your belief and your thought process on can you get, can you win a Stanley Cup without great goaltending? Usually no. But going back to 2012 when Quick did win the conspite, his playoff MVP, I mean, his numbers are, are just out of this world. I mean, you go back to all the goalies who have won a playoff MVP trophy, and very few, if any, have put up numbers like Jonathan Quick. And that was, for him, just a continuation of what he did to get the Kings into the playoffs that year. And Jim, you and I have talked about it. I think, what was the number? 10 or 11 times in the regular season. 10 times the Kings scored one goal or none. And they got points in all (laughs) 10 of those games. (laughs) And that's not by accident. That's because the guy, he should have won the Vezina Trophy that year as well. I'm convinced the only reason he didn't is because he played on the West Coast. And I think Lundquist won it that year. He was on the East Coast. But... If it's not for Jonathan Quick, and in talking to the players after the Kings won the Cup in 2012, uh, they said to a man, if it's not for him, we're not even here. We don't even have a chance because the Kings, as we all know, barely got in as the eighth seed in 2012. And, and uh, uh, you know, th- that's where I think for, the, for those of us who had the opportunity to see Quick throughout that regular season, and throughout that playoff run in the 11-12 season, you're not going to see better goaltending from the start of a season through the end of the playoffs, probably ever again. Yeah. I mean, that's how good Jonathan Quick was during the regular season that year and, and in the postseason.
2: Yeah, well, don't, don't confuse me saying that it's not, I wouldn't go that way. I would pick a goaltender, but it's lower, I think, on my standards than most people. There is no question in my mind that game one and game two in St. Louis, second round series 2012, first 10 minutes of both of those games, that's where Jonathan Quick won the Consummate Trophy. He was incredible. They were all over the Kings. And back to timing again. Early, first 10 minutes in both of those games on the road. That's where I believe he won the smith because he was over and above
3: and if I'm not mistaken, um, set NHL records in that 2012 run with 1.41 goals against and a 9.46 save percentage um, as far as goalies that had played a certain number of games. But look, if we're going to talk about him losing the Vezina Trophy in 2012, I'm going to get mad. So, Jim, I'm going to have to go to a, a story that lots of Kings fans to this day still well, hold love on, looking back hold, hold on.
2: Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, Who said he should lose the Constantine Trophy?
3: No, no, not the consummate, the Vesena.
2: Oh, the Vesena. Oh, excuse yeah, me. Yes. Yeah, it's a Lundquist. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, I'm still
3: annoyed about that. Come
2: on, they go for, oh. Uh,
3: That's the good that looks East Coast guy, bias there. The good looks, he got
2: <laughs> the nice suits, he plays the guitar, he's a model.
3: <laughs> but uh, but look, there's a story from just at the end of the 2011-2012 regular season, Jim, and I'll give you a chance to duck out of responding to this if you want to, but you and Brian Hayward appear on a pregame game telecast and he flashes his stanley cup ring at you does the kings winning the series against the ducks in 2014 and ultimately winning the cup for the second time giving you a second ring to flash at uh, brian hayward did that make it any sweeter
2: um it never entered my mind
3: (laughs) okay never (laughs) entered
2: my mind i will say this there wasn't another, I believe it was in maybe in 11 or previous to that. Brian and I were doing another intermission segment together. And the question posed was which team is closer to winning the next, you know, Stanley Cup. Anaheim had already won by then. The Kings had not. And I went through some, I think some, a pretty convincing argument why the Kings would be that team. And I, I, I believe that was in 2011. And, uh. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I was right.
3: (laughs) Yes, yes, you were. Uh, Nick, uh, any takeaways from from (laughs) the series before we wrap it up? Takeaway
0: from the Anaheim series? Um, Great series. Um, I, I hope the two teams meet more often in the postseason because, as we've talked about, it's the Southern California rivalries and And whether or not it's a a team like Anaheim for the Kings or a Colorado or a Vancouver and Edmonton, you've got to play these teams in the playoffs and play them more than once or twice. That's when the rivalry, to me, really gets heated up, carries over into the regular season, and it gives people something to talk about even when things aren't going well. So, yeah, I'm just hoping it's been, what, six years now since they – They met for the first time. They haven't met since. But uh, boy, very much looking forward to the next Anaheim Kings playoff series.
2: Yeah. And in the series against Anaheim, it wasn't a high scoring series by any means until game seven. But it kind of goes back to what we started talking about right at the beginning of this podcast. And that is uh, a little bit, the Kings could win in different ways. And I think that came out certainly in the first series against San Jose. It's, it's coming out even more here against Anaheim where just, you know, not as clockwork as 2012, but maybe surprising to a lot of people in certain areas where the Kings were able to win games in different ways. I think ways that they weren't expected to do and then it made them even that much more difficult to beat because they could.
3: Well, it was a lot of fun going back over this series. So I guess we're going to, we don't have to ask if you've convinced each other because, like I said, you both picked the 2014 seven game win over the Anaheim Ducks as the best second round series in Kings history. We hope you enjoyed it, Kings fans. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about the best conference final series in king's history and i'll be really curious to see if you guys come down on the same one in that one jim nick thanks very much my pleasure
2: i can't wait to do the next one because it is the best series i have ever seen
3: wow that's a that's a heck of a teaser (laughs) we'll talk to you soon king's fans